You are now listening to Zakaic Podcast, proclaiming Jesus as Savior, Healer, Sanctifier, and Coming King. We'll continue learning about the Kingdom of God tonight. We are on the sixth sermon within the series entitled, Blessed Are. And please open your Bibles with me in the book of Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, and Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. I'll read from the New American Standard Bible, 1995 edition. The word of the Lord says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We'll proceed to the next text, 16, 13 to 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who, are, who is in heaven." I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be, shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. May the good Lord bless the reading of his word. Every time we feel that our body is dirty, we immediately go to a bathroom to take a bath, apply soap on our skin so that it will be clean, right? If we are using a glass to drink something like water, juice, or whatever it may be, if we notice that there is a dirt sticked on the glass, immediately we go to a sink and then apply a dishwashing soap so that the glass will be made clean again. If our clothes are stained by something and the stain is really holding on the cloth of, your, of what we are wearing, we try to give time to remove it and then bring it somewhere where there is water and apply some detergent soap so that it will be made clean again. There is a soap for the skin of a human being. We call that bath soap. There is a soap for washing. There is a soap for washing clothes and washing dishes. There are different kinds of soap in this world. But what about if the one thing in our life that is dirt is something that is internal? What if it's the heart of a human being that is contaminated by a stain. There is no available soap in the entire earth that you and I can buy and get it and take out our hearts and wash it with that particular soap so that it will be made clean. There is nothing like that on earth. So when a heart of the person is stained by something that is like a stain before the eyes of God, what shall we do? What must a person do? So that that heart will be made clean again. 
In the text that we have read, it mentions the word not cleanness, but purity. What shall a man do that, that experiences a heart that is stained, so that that heart will, be, heart will be made pure and clean one more time? The world cannot offer anything that can cleanse a heart of a human being. Back in the olden days, the society that Jesus was talking to, when he delivered the Sermon on the Mount, when he preached about the Beatitude, he talked to these people and this individual to whom the message was addressed. They had a perception back then that a heart of the person can be made clean, that a heart of the person can be made pure by following rituals that was made available to them by their religious leaders. Two ways that a person's heart will be clean or pure in the eyes of God according to their perception. One must avoid those things that are prohibited. For example, a person is not allowed to touch a dead body, whether of an animal or a human being. Because once you touch a dead body, then you are ceremonially unclean. You will not be allowed to enter the temple. Remember that time when Jesus... When Jesus related a story about the Good Samaritan, in that particular story, there were several characters that were mentioned. The first one that is really like playing as a one of the main characters was the victim of the bandits. They went to him, got everything that he had, and then did something to him physically that left him lying down on the ground. Now, while, he, while the victim was there lying down, there was a religious leader that passed by. It was the priest. The priest saw the victim, and yet the priest never did anything, not anything that offered a help to this person who was victimized by the bandits. He just passed by. And then the next person that came into the picture was a Levite. A Levite saw the victim also. Did he do something to help him? No. He saw him, he saw the victim, and he just passed by. Now these two persons, these two characters that were mentioned, the priest and the Levite, there were two things that were common between the two of them. First is that both of them were working in the temple. Another is that both of them are purely Jewish-blooded individuals. However, the story doesn't end there. Jesus related about another character, and here comes a Samaritan. Samaritan who is not a pure Jewish-blooded person and does not work in the temple. And yet when he saw the victim, he went to him, attended to him, brought to him somewhere that this guy can experience healing. Now here is the thing. Oftentimes, when we read that parable, we think judgment toward the Levite and the priest and say that these two guys are not really religious in a true way because they are not concerned about what happened to the victim. However, there are reasons why, did, why they, not, they did not offer any help. One of those is that they may have thought that that victim was dead already. As workers in the temple, they did not touch the body because if that person is dead, 
both of them, the priest and the Levite, will be declared ceremonially unclean and thus they are not fit to work in the temple. They cannot render their service in the temple for a certain period. Why? Because they are unclean. So if you understand this background, we will not just release judgment right away to the priest and the Levite because that's part of their society. They understood that for the person to preserve his purity, to preserve his cleanness in the eyes of God, one must not touch a dead body. There is something like that idea that was there known to the society back then. And then if you want, if you have violated a rule such as that, there is a way for you to be cleansed. What is that particular process? You go to the priest. And the priest will evaluate you if, for example, accidentally you touch a body of a dead animal. And so you are ceremonially unclean now. For you to become, to be released from that being unclean state, you got to go to the priest. And the priest is the one who has the authority to declare that you are clean again. After evaluating you, after some process, the priest would have the authority to say to the society, this guy is clean already. He may now come to the temple. He may now proceed with the regular activities that he has in his life. No wonder when Jesus encountered the ten lepers, he pronounced healing upon them. And after he healed them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. Why, does it, why was it important for these lepers who were healed already to go to the priest? Because as I have said, only the priest has the authority to declare a person clean or pure. A leper back then, if you have a leprosy, you are an outcast from the society. You are not allowed to stay with your family. You are not allowed to mingle with your fellow Jewish people and join in the community. You are not allowed to do that. Why? Because you have a contagious disease. And you cannot carry that and let others be contaminated by it. Thus, you are an outcast. And yet, once you have received healing from God, you need to go to the priest. And it's the priest who would say, you are clean already. Here is a certification. You can go and tell them that you are clean and pure already. So back then in that particular group of people, when Jesus preached to them, he was not just saying randomly about the words that we read in the book of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus thought of them. Jesus carefully crafted his message so that there are certain issues within the culture that he will be able to address. And one of those things that he was trying to address is that mindset that a person can obtain purity in his heart if he, allow, if, if he won't allow himself to be contaminated by anything that is prohibited by the law. Or he can only obtain purity and cleanness if he goes to the priest, let the religious leader evaluate him out of that evaluation, then he can be made clean again. That's how they perceive about cleanliness and cleansing, I mean, about the heart, purity of the heart. But is that really what God thought about it? No. Because when Jesus addressed this to them, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Then the question now is, 
if a person cannot be cleansed through the ceremony, if the person's heart cannot be declared pure through abstinence or avoiding those prohibitions that are there in the law, how then a person's heart can be made pure? That's the question that we are addressing here. You go back to the earlier chapter when Jesus dealt with them at the beginning part of this section. Jesus said something like this, Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Take note that he told them, repent, meaning to say, we are, they are all sinners. Jesus considered them as violators of the law, and they did something that violated what stipulated in the rules of God. It was assumed already that they violated one of those laws that Jesus said, repent. You turn your life into something which is good, away from something which is evil. Leave your sins away now and make a straight path that is directed toward God and there is no one else but God himself. But that invitation for repentance was made mention in relation to the presence of the kingdom that was represented by the king himself. So Jesus said, repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Why is the kingdom of God was in their midst? Because the king was there in their midst already. So the, the invitation for repentance was directly related to the presence of Jesus in their midst. A person will not respond to that invitation unless that person believes on the one who said the invitation. I'll repeat no person would repent. No person would follow the invitation unless that person recognizes the one who made the invitation. Unless that person believes on the person who made the invitation. Jesus said, repent. And many of the people back then in the society did not repent. Why? they were not able to understand who that person really was who was telling them to repent. They did not recognize him. They did not have an idea about who he really was. So without repentance, there was no cleansing because there was no recognition about who Jesus is. A similar scenario that we could see if we look at chapter 16 of the same book, Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13, what happened here? Jesus this time was with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi. While they were there, Jesus asked his disciples. And he asked them the question, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? I'll repeat. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? What is the perception of, of the people around you? About the Son of Man. Oh, by the way, what is this term, Son of Man, about? What does it mean by this line, Son of Man? It, this line does not only talk about the humanity of Jesus, but it actually relates with the prophecy made by Daniel as he saw the vision from God that there will be one day that will come along with the ancient of days pertain to God himself. There is someone who appears like the Son of Man. And this, this person, this figure, who is the Son of Man, will come into this world. And this person will have its power, will have his dominion over everything. And that vision that 
Daniel saw actually pertained to the Messiah. So the Son of Man that Jesus used, when he used this line to pertain to himself, the question that he asked actually bears with it a claim. What is that claim? That he is the Messiah that the Jewish people had been waiting for for a very long time. So when he asked them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He was pertaining to himself. He was declaring himself as the Messiah that they had been waiting for. And then the answer of the disciples, as they heard from the people around them, some of them said, you're John the Baptist. Well, one of those who said that Jesus was John the Baptist was Herod. Herod said, I killed John already, but here comes someone who still preaches the same message as John preached. This must be a reincarnation of John. So Herod said that word. That was the reason why the disciples said, they, they say you are John the Baptist. But some perceive you as Elijah. Because in the Old Testament, it ta talks about the Messiah who's going to come. And he's, he will manifest power like the power of Elijah. And so when Jesus performed the miracles, when he taught with power and authority, they thought this must be the guy that is perceived or that is pertained to by the prophecy in the Old Testament that one day a prophet like Elijah would come. So they said, you are Elijah. Some of them said, you are Jeremiah. Some of them said, you are one of the prophets. But all of those descriptions that they uttered here are not accurate, not a single one of them was an accurate description of who Jesus was. And so Jesus, after asking the question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He now asked a similar question, but this time it was a personal way because it was addressed directly to the disciples. If that was the perception of the people around you about me, let me ask you this question personally. How about you? Who do you say that I am? How do you understand me? How do you perceive me? And among the disciples, often it was Peter who gives first the answer. And in this account that we read, nobody else gave an answer, only Peter. Sa term ng young people, bida-bida. It was often Peter who would respond first. And when he, he responded to the question of Jesus, Who do you say that I am? The answer of Peter was, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that answer was really accurate. Why did I say that it's accurate? Look back at the first question of Jesus. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? That line, Son of Man, pertained to himself. It was a declaration that he is the Messiah. Now Peter's answer to him when he asked the disciples, Who do you say that I am? Peter's answer was, You are the Christ. And by the way, as I told you before, the word Christ is not the family name of Jesus. They do not have family names back then. The word Christ is a title, which literally means the anointed one. And as prophesied in the Old Testament, the anointed one is no other than the Messiah himself. So look at the line that Jesus used to pertain to himself in that question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? The Son of Man is the Messiah, as seen by Daniel in his vision. Now Peter answered, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. It is very consistent. That answer of Peter was the most accurate answer to the question, who do you say that I am? Jesus 
is the Messiah. And then after that question, look at verse 17. When Jesus heard the answer of Peter, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know what Jesus said to him? Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Oh, by the way, Simon is another name of Peter. It's, at, it's not another person. Simon is another name for Peter. Bar-Jonah is not his family name. The word Bar literally means son of. Jonah is another name for Peter's father. So when you translate this, Simon Peter, son of Jonah. Okay? So this is not a family name. And Jesus commented to him after he said, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said to him, Blessed are you. Now take note. What is in verse five of Matthew, in verse eight of Matthew chapter five? Blessed are same line. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now Peter perceived correctly who Jesus is. Then Jesus told him, "Blessed are you, Simon Barzona." If you bring these things together. It gives us an understanding that really purity and cleanness of the heart cannot be experienced out of the rituals that would be done by the religious leaders. It cannot be obtained through avoidance of those prohibitions in the law. But instead, purity in the heart, cleanness in the presence of God can only happen when the person recognizes the one who said repent because Jesus himself is the one who is the one can, that can make a heart pure and clean. No one else. It's not by the ritual. It's not by obeying the law. But you can experience purity of the heart, cleanness in the presence of God once you recognize Jesus who he really is and you believe in his claim about who he is. But that account came from a pre-crucifixion era. Pre-crucifixion meaning to say the moment that was the time before he was crucified. When these things happened, Jesus was not crucified yet. He was not resurrected yet. So they belong to the pre-crucifixion era wherein those individuals can obtain purity in the heart by recognizing who Jesus is and by believing him about his claims. But we belong today, we belong to a post-crucifixion era. Jesus died already more than 2,000 years ago, but he did, did not remain in the grave. He came back to life. We are in the post-crucifixion era, and thus this time, if we want to experience purity in the heart, cleanness in our standing before God, then we shall not follow those laws. We shall not go to a priest and let him declare us clean and pure. But what we can do is that believe in the claims of Jesus and look at the cross at Calvary where Jesus shed his blood for you and for me because there is nothing else in this world that can clean a sinner's heart, nothing more but the blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross. This is very clear if you look at 1 John chapter 1. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 up to verse 9. The writer of this letter said this, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and listen very carefully, and the blood of Jesus, his son, 
cleanses us from all our sin. Proceed to verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous. What? To forgive? Yes, to forgive. But not only to forgive, but to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. So if you think about the post-crucifixion time in which the current moment you and I belong are part of it, we do not only embrace and believe about the claims of Jesus about himself as the Messiah, but we can look back at the cross and see the bruises that he had on his body and see those nails that pierced on his hand at his feet and see the side that was pierced by that arrow that was placed there and Blood came out of his body, and that blood is the very thing that cleanses us from all our sins. It is the blood of Jesus that can make a sinner's heart pure and clean. This world cannot offer any soap that can cleanse a heart. There is nothing that this world can offer, not any ritual. You know what? I encountered individuals who said, Pastor, I go to church so that at least mabawasan naman lang kahit konti yung kasalanan ko. I do good things at least mabura-bura naman yung mga pagkakamaling, pagkakamaling nagawa ko. I, I help the poor. I do this so that at least I would balance a little bit those wrongdoings that I have done and I would have somewhat nababawasan yung mga mistakes ko. But it's a wrong perception. It's a wrong understanding because there is nothing that you and I can do that can make this dirty heart clean and pure in the presence of God. There is nothing more but only the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing more. Only His blood. That is why I really love a, a hymn, an olden song that says, Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. Would you over evil a victory win? There is wonderful power in the blood of Jesus. There is power, wonder working power of the blood. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood. There is power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There is power, wonderful power in the blood of Jesus. Would you be whiter? Yes, brighter than snow. There's power in the blood. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. Sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow. There is wonderful power in the blood of the Lord. Would you do service for Jesus, your King? There's power in the blood. That's possible. Would you live daily His praises to sing? It's possible because there is power in the blood. And that is why this song rings not only in those years that it was written and it was really very popular, but even nowadays, every time I hear this song, it reminds me that there is nothing in this world that can clean my heart, only the blood of Jesus. There is nothing in this world that can make me pure in the presence of God, only the blood of Jesus. Why don't we all stand this evening and together with all our hearts, Declare, sing this song with gratitude in a form of worship to our living God. Let's all stand as I request the pianist to help us in, in singing of this song. There is power in the blood of our Savior. You just heard the message from Zumbuanga City Alliance Evangelical Church. We hope that it will help you in your journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
For more updates, you can follow us in our social media platforms in Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Zekayak Ministries. See you there!